Hey everyone, it's Christian. I just wanted to thank you all so much for tuning in again. This is the third episode that Cole and I have done together, and we're having a blast doing it. We're really excited about the future of this show, where it's going, what we're going to do with it, and we're talking about starting a Patreon page, as well as getting an Etsy store going with some merch of like our logos and some of the like spoof logos and characters that we create during the show. So kick back, relax, and enjoy the latest episode of Film is About to Start. Go ahead. Make my day. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? Hey, Stella! I drink your milkshake. I drink it up! And here we are again. Okay, so this week's episode is very, very different from last episode i was gonna say last week's but uh, i'm still editing the batman because it's, yeah we talked for a while it's four hours long is it no okay <laughs> no, it's, it's an hour long. longer than the movie no Jeez. it is really it, it's it's long i'm having to like really like but i'm also having fun with it but yeah we talked for a, a lot yeah there were some uh we kind of went back and like talked about things that we had started talking about earlier there was that was a long conversation for sure yeah but that also is because um i mean that's deep lore and like yeah a lot of a lot of uh history there but no i had suggested to you i think you because you had just you had picked the batman for us yeah. to watch because it was out and you wanted to see it and it seemed relevant right um and then i suggested to you because it was on hbo max i was like adaptation because i haven't seen it in a long time right and i really want to do a bunch of i love nicholas cage i don't i like nicholas cage i think as time goes by i start to appreciate him more and more there's the whole thing about him, you know, doing a bunch of movies because he had like I think owed a bunch of money on taxes and stuff. But uh, I, please put your phone on silent. <laughs> it's not silent. It just flashed. That's all. My screen lit up. Something vibrated. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, but I I don't dislike Nicolas Cage. I'm just growing more and more fond of him as time goes by. I actually watched Matchstick Men like a week ago. Okay, I was gonna ask you that's nobody's ever seen that movie yeah super bizarre like kind of um kind of hidden gem honestly i had seen most of it if not like maybe like half of it when i was a kid my mom just had it on tv i think at one point really and yeah and i remembered the plot for the most part and i just really enjoyed watching it uh last week yeah i love that movie i think it's allison loam and sam rockwell's awesome i love sam rockwell um I don't know. I Matchstick Men for some reason. I think that I. I don't. I don't think I saw it in the theater. I think I saw it on DVD, and I remember seeing it because it was Ridley Scott directed it. Yeah. Which and it's odd. Like when you think of Ridley Scott's career, it's not something that. No, I think of Alien right away. Right or Blade Runner or yeah, Gladiator, but like, I love crime movies, and mm-hmm. that was just a different, like, I love the whole con man, th- I th- that world that Ridley Scott builds in that film. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And it, and it starts off, like, right away, like, them going into these conversations, and maybe we shouldn't talk about Matchstick Men for Let's too just long. change the subject <laughs> to Matchstick Men. Actually, no. Well, actually, you know what? This will be a dual episode. We can talk about Matchstick Men and okay. Adaptation. It's a Nicolas Cage special. Yeah. Why not? Nick Cage special. Q theme. Ooh. Does he have a theme? He does now. <laughs> No, I really, I do. I love Nicolas Cage. I don't know what it is, but like, he's so much fun to watch when he, because I think what's so much fun about him is like, 
you know, there's a lot, I'm not going to say who, but there's like this whole thing about actors who are older, don't care so much, do it for a paycheck. Yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah. And so with this, though, I feel like Nicolas Cage really loves acting and performing. And every time he's doing it, I don't ever feel cheated. I don't ever feel like it's for, like, I don't feel like it's for a paycheck. I feel like it's because he loves to do it. And I read an article with him, I think it was Vanity Fair, where he was talking about why he wants to do these, all these movies. What did he end up saying? Just that kind of like when he was growing up, all these movies he would watch, he would see these regular guys and they would always show up and he would go to watch something for them. So he wanted to be like that kind of movie star. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely like I prefer that that's his stance rather than just like, I got to make money. Like, yeah. 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 So, (laughs) yeah. So you just ran. Was Matchstick Men on HBO Max as well? I think it was. Everything you watch is on HBO Max. Yeah. It's the easiest platform just to find like not that Matchstick Men is like a ten out of ten film, but like good stuff. I mean, it's it's pretty up there. I yeah, mean, not ten out of ten, but I mean it's pretty. Yeah, it's an interesting movie, and I think like there's a big enough twist in there, like that it leaves it it leaves you thinking afterwards. Spoiler alert: We're probably going to just reveal about Matchstick Men, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But that's um, a spoilery podcast. I just love the whole like one of the things I love about um, Nicolas Cage's performance is when he starts having that like breakdown with the pills, and he's in the pharmacy. Oh my god, he's screaming at everybody. <laughs> Have you ever been wasn't beaten until you oh, fist yeah. blood? Yeah, that's the line. This is an emergency. Hey, buddy, ever heard of a line? Hey, have you ever been dragged to the sidewalk and beat until you pissed blood? <laughs> the editing in that movie is great, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That is such a different film tonally than... Uh... Than adaptation, though. And well, mostly, not necessarily tonally, but his character is so drastically different, or his characters are so drastically different. Yeah. So Okay, so speaking of, all right, we'll go ahead and get into adaptation. We might come back to Magic Men later, but okay. I had forgot. So I've only seen adaptation once. It was a long, long time ago, but I love, a, like, Charlie Kaufman's work. Are you familiar with a lot of Charlie Kaufman? I have seen um, Being John Malkovich, and I think that's it. Um there's another big film that he direct, or he wrote, right? Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless oh, Mind. Yeah, and I love that as yeah. well. It's funny that despite the fact that he wrote both of them, I was not really aware of his name. I guess I, I it was like a recognizable name in a sense where it's like I have heard that before. But when I first started watching the movie, I didn't realize that Nicolas Cage was playing the writer, was mm-hmm. playing Charlie Kaufman. So you, they say the name, I'm like, wait a minute. And then I get like about halfway into the film, I'm like, oh god, I see what's happening. And it was on. It was a very fun thing to kind of realize, and uh, yeah, it was just there was a lot of a lot of stuff, just a lot of thoughts throughout the film. Okay, when <laughs> to be relatively vague, <laughs> I forgot about like the opening. I mean, it's great, but like the op- the birth. There's a birth sequence. Yeah, You're I, just was, like, okay. I was like, oh, okay, I'm seeing that right now. <laughs> yeah, I, so, yeah, it opens up and there's a, a fox that's decaying and yeah. then being eaten by maggots, and then. <laughs> I think the next shot honestly might be the birth. And it is a straight up shot like of a child being born. Yeah, out through the vaginal canal. Yeah, yeah okay. Just, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, it's science. It's not, no, we're not right. children up here no, talking no. about movies. That's a great We point. talked about the Batman last week, but okay, we're adults talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, well, Kaufman, you know, I mean, he wrote Being John Malkovich, which is so cool because that's how, I mean, that's really how it opens on that like behind the scenes footage. Right. And how Spike Jones incorporated that because he directed that as well. Yeah, and I thought that was I thought that was really interesting because it's immediately I'm like, wait a minute, I'm like, this is that movie, and then you have makes it very clear. I think like 30 seconds later, when you see people walking around with the John Malkovich masks and everything, but like I said, I think Charlie Kaufman was a name that I just kind of heard and probably have seen a few times, but I didn't connect the two. Okay, 
And it wasn't like I said until like halfway through the movie that I really realized that, oh, this is based on a real person. And then I was after I was done watching it, I was like, I need to know what of this is real. Yeah, it's that's what I okay. So that's like one of the things that I like about the movie is I think that it's really cool how you don't yeah, it really throws your like sense of reality out the window. Right. Because it's jumping between because the whole story, like when I first saw it, I wasn't sure what to think of it. And then I did all the back, you know, the history of the film. And I really liked it when I first saw it. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say I really liked it. I was kind of on the, I was like, I, but I was much younger and I was like, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Yeah. Whatever. But, um, I don't know. Like it really did kind of, I don't know for me, like this time viewing it, it really worked for me this time in a way that it didn't then. Yeah. I think this is something that gets better the second time you see it. I think just like even taking a day after I watched it to kind of think about it really helped me uh, as far as just enjoying it, which is so funny. I guess like you should you would think like the viewing experience is the experience, but it's the fact that it makes you think. And like it was me realizing that the name adaptation is almost a pun in a sense. It's got two meanings. And I think that was really fun. I think that's I love that the movie is about flowers and all that stuff and about him trying to write a movie about flowers. But the thing isn't about the flowers adapting. It's about him adapting the book. Mm hmm. I like the thing. Oh, God. So, like, <laughs> like when, when the first thing that happens when he comes home, Charlie and um, Donald mm-hmm. is there and you're like, wait, oh, what? Right. And then just I mean, th- that the performance, Nicolas Cage's performance as the brothers is. It's great. I had read, uh, I think it was, was it, the, was it Spike Jones that had said this, that Nicolas Cage, like, really invested in both of those characters and invested in them fully, like. He, when he was Charlie, he was Charlie. When he was Don, he was Don. And there was no meeting in the middle there. Like, he really made those two separate characters, despite the fact that, I mean, they're identical twins. Mm-hmm. The stuff with Donald, though, like the character, just the polar opposites. Mm-hmm. It's so, it's almost like comical how, like, they fit into these boxes of these archetypes, you know? Like, right. You've got the self-deprecating, like... And also Charlie Kaufman to write such a self-deprecating character. I think that's like so cool that he just was like, yeah, this is just, I'm going to write this this way. And yeah, no, like I, for me, it's like no ego. What's like, I just think it's. Oh, yeah. And I, it makes for a better story. Absolutely. Yeah. He wrote himself into the movie and did not like spice himself up at all. He didn't Steven Seagal himself. In oh, my God. Yeah, what, <laughs> the, what two impossibly different people. Many people consider me, you know, one of the great masters in my own field. Yeah. <laughs> So, okay, I was going to say, like, Charlie Kaufman, other stuff that he's done, and I think he directed this, uh, Synecdoche, New York. Have you seen that? No, I think I read about that just looking at stuff recently. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Okay. We should do, we should do that. If you like Eternal Sunshine, and, I mean, I take it, I mean, did you like Adaptation? Yeah, I, I really liked it. I think the first time through, I was like, okay, like, it was, it was very different from, like, the Batman and from Seven, where it wasn't, like, super, like, high level of excitement and action and all of that until like the final act. Mm-hmm. So it just, it was kind of a, it was a different thing. So I wasn't sure how to feel about it. It's not like you get to the end and you're like, wow, what a sick movie. <laughs> like, wow, that was rad. No, you get to the end and it's like, okay, like that was really interesting. Yeah. And I think it was a fun watch. And I think looking back at some of the production and seeing how things were done and how people kind of perceived it at the time or how like the people that were, that the film was based on kind of handled that. Mm-hmm. That's all super interesting. Yeah. The writer of the actual book. Yeah. Like, there's a little like bit where she like, I don't think that she, she couldn't believe that she had like agreed to it or 
I was glancing at that earlier because she's like, how could this, I don't, how could this be? But then she ended up loving the movie. Right. Um, and loving Meryl Streep's performance because it's based off the character in the book. And it's, you know, and Meryl Streep's great always. I yeah. Mean, oh yeah. She was I so mean, good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, what is it? What is her name? It's um, something Orlean. What is the character's name? Oh my Or the gosh. actual person's name. The actual per- Yeah. Oh my god. Diane Orlean? It's something Orlean. Susan Orlean. Susan Orlean. Yeah, so obviously, like, uh, Charlie Coffin's writing a, a movie about her book, about her experiences talking to this guy that stole these orchids. She, like, read the script for the first time and was like, I can't, I, I don't want my name in this. Yeah. I don't want somebody playing this character. I don't want to become, like, this famous. It's too, um, she felt too vulnerable, I think. And then I want to say it was Spike Jones or it was somebody else that was part of the production that was like, Charlie Kaufman's in this too. Like the writer has put himself in this movie and the stuff that he's doing is like not as bad really. I mean, her character's like having sex and doing drugs and stuff, <laughs> but I think he said, he's like Charlie Kaufman's masturbating several times throughout the film. I'm glad you brought up the masturbation. I had to. Was, yeah. It's it. <laughs> God, <laughs> Elvin I room. Mean, gosh, everybody. It's so disturbing. Everybody that every woman that he has an encounter with, he, every single oh, yeah. one of them. He has a sexual fantasy and masturbation scene about. And it's like, well, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> like, and his anxiety and panic attack. Oh, my God. The first that scene with the, the beginning with Tilda Swinton mm-hmm. when they're at the diner or at the, the, the cafe or yeah, I'm restaurant. She's going to see him sweating. She's looking at my hairline. Oh, my God. Ugh. It's so just like. That's one of the best. That's that just the way it opens on that. And I mean, Nicolas Cage, I mean, his performance, I think, is just so just so damn funny. Like, like when he's sitting there and I could I can relate to this, though, as like trying to write scripts and things when he's sitting down at that typewriter and he's trying to think about the ideas. And he's like, coffee, I should get a coffee mm-hmm. get a muffin <laughs> yeah. and a nut. And it's just like. I, I do think that it's nice to find like there's like all these like relatable things. And I do like that. I don't know the character for all his flaws and all of that. Like you can find a little bit of yourself. I think everybody can find a little bit of themselves if they're honest about. Oh, absolutely. I think we all that. doubt ourselves. And oh, yeah. Like, yeah. And I think he's just so open about it. And I think it's really cool that this meta film exists where it, the whole film is about him writing this film. There's a really fun part, like midway through the movie. It's like that turning point when he decides that he's going to introduce himself as a character. And that's the plot of his film. And then he's saying things and then he's like, and my character says, and then he just does the exact same line again. It's really bizarre. That's one of my favorite scenes. He's got the tape recorder and he's going through and he's looking at the legal pad and he's like, yeah. yeah, he records himself saying all this stuff. And then he grabs his notebook and then it's like, he's reading exactly what he had just said. It's, I'd have to watch that scene again, but it was bizarre in a very fun way. Yeah, it's weird. It's a very well edited scene. Um, and just like, yeah, again, the stuff, that, <laughs> just the whole like commentary. I mean, it's like, it's so funny. It's because like creatives, like you've got to like be part of the Hollywood system and do it. But like at the same time, it's kind of funny how much they poke fun at it, even though they're a part of it in a way, because. I don't know. It's just one of those things, just like the cliches in the film. It's just like the agent, I think, who's talking to him. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And he's, yeah. <laughs> it's Ron Livingston, I think. Isn't it, it is. Yeah. And like, yeah, everybody in that movie is based on a real character to some degree. The agent, like his name, I can't remember exactly what it was now, but that was the name of Charlie Kaufman's agent. Like he portrayed him as like as the real guy. Oh, my God. That's. And OK, so. I I love Brian Cox. Um, 
he's fantastic. And that Robert McKee, like the the seminar. Have you seen what that guy looks like? No. He looks just like Brian Cox. Maybe I have, because that's a real book. Yeah. That, I, it's like so funny, because you're just like, where, what is the stance? How do you feel? Because it's like so easy to be, because I, I feel like I very often have this conflicting dual identity within myself of pessimist and optimist. I feel like I try to be the more optimist, but like there's this always like this little, it's like a little angel and a demon on my yeah. shoulder. I feel like I've got pessimist here and optimism here. And they're like constantly battling, because like, Whenever I'm trying to write something, I'm like, oh, like, fuck the conventions of this or that. And like, but I'll look at books sometimes because we all want to have some kind of like guide. Yeah. But at the same time. You want to be original. Yeah. And it's just so boring. It's like, oh, here, like, save the cat. Have you read heard of that book? Yes. I'm trying to figure yeah, out. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I'm not going to, I don't want to like rip on, a, but it was not for me. I'll just okay. put it that way because it was just like, I don't know. It was just ripping on certain movies and scripts that, like, this way I took it, and this was years ago, but yeah. I just didn't care for it. Save the cat. I'm going to have to no, just look not. that up. No, okay. No. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> but I forget. Story is the name of this book or whatever. And I think I've, I've heard people who, like, you know, talk about that. But it's just so funny to me that he ends up coming around and then trying to get his brother to write it. It's like, what is the method? Like, what is he saying here? Right. Like, I was reading something, so yeah, like three quarters of the way into the movie, his brother, who is also writing a script, tries to, or he asks him for help to basically get, make it an entertaining movie. And then I read that at that point in the film, everything else there is Donald Kaufman's movie. And that's why, like, you get, like, these long-winded monologues from Donald, and then you get these action sequences, you have people getting shot and running and car chases, you get all of the things that Charlie Kaufman at the beginning of the movie said that he didn't want to put in his movie. He didn't want those Hollywood cliches. And I think that's hilarious. It is, yeah, because you step out of reality into fantasy at that point. Yeah, and it's it's wild. Just like, oh, and there's just like the little banter when he's like watching with the binoculars, watching um, the Orlean, Susan Orlean in the, in the, in her office in the New Yorker. One thing that got, got me physically upset. Oh, no. <laughs> was, I mean, I really did. Like, I was getting there going, oh, Odd, is when he's on the elevator at the New Yorker and he goes up and it opens the elevator door opens and he doesn't get off and then it goes up comes back down and she gets on and he still does nothing I was getting physically upset I feel that because like you just like get a backbone to this character you just want to like just shake him like there's come on so, there's so much awkward tension where you and because I haven't seen it before where you think he's just gonna say something he keeps leaning in and like Ah, it's so uncomfortable. Yeah. And then he doesn't. She just goes away and he's like, oh. I know. It's just like, it's so obnoxious in that in that way. But, um, well, I was going to say, oh, no, I'm not going to say that. Hold on. <laughs> well, I thought one of, like, the good scenes, and I know it's because it's like, this is more like character. I mean, it's more like self-reflective and, and like an indie drama than what we've watched previously. But one of the things it's like, Again, it's that character, like, not making these moves and things. And the way it's just played out is when he's in the car with the, his, I guess, girlfriend. I mean, they don't really say that, but, I mean, obviously that's their dating. Um, Amelia. And he won't go in when she's like, come on. And he's like, no, I got to go. I got to get to the. And it's I'm just like, like the king of not, like, not seeing a vibe or getting a vibe from a woman. And I'm, and I'm sitting there watching the whole time. you like, dude, come on, for the love of God. <laughs> that's the biggest vibe that's ever been out there in the world. 
but I, yeah, well, no, I feel you. I've been that, I've been in that situation too before where I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what is happening. What is it? <laughs> I make myself sound really good on this show. Oh yeah. Um, but well, I was going to say, we didn't talk about, um, yet, um, Chris Cooper in the, as the, uh, um, as the orchid thief. What is his name? It's it's not an oh it's Laroche. La Laroche. Yeah, I was La say Roche. It's something like French. Something French. He's he's fantastic. I I don't know if you've seen a lot of Chris Cooper stuff. I I, I think I had seen him. He's in Born Identity, right? Is he in that? I think he's I think he's the he's the guy that uh, is basically like leading the hunt for Jason Bourne, if I'm not mistaken. But I haven't. I, I'm sure I've seen him in all sorts of things. He's got like one of those faces where. Well, he's been in American Beauty. Okay, and I haven't seen that in a long time. Yeah, American Beauty is great. He's the neighbor. He's oh. the military. Yeah, it's been too long. Spoiler alert: He's the one who shoots Kevin Spacey in the head after he kisses him. Ah, uh, remember? It's been way you too long. Block that out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. What else? I mean, yeah, he's in October Sky. He's in a lot. Of, he's he's really good. He's a really great. So many other things, but yeah, I mean, like I really. Um, I mean, he won an Oscar for this role, right? I'm pretty sure he he won uh, like best supporting actor. I'm gonna look that up. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the. So we've just decided that we're gonna change the uh, idea of this show to bro films because, uh, you know, I don't know our demographics. So uh, we're gonna do bro films. <laughs> Nicolas Cage in Adaptation. What'd you think of it, brah? Listen, dude, I don't know. Like, <laughs> that movie is fine. Not enough action. Not enough freaking car chases, dude. Gone in 60 seconds. Way better movie. Dude. Way better. And I mean, Angelina Jolie, friggin' hot. Yeah, dude, she's friggin' hot, bro. And you ever seen, uh, what is it, Ghost Rider? <laughs> Even more action. He fucking pisses fire in that movie, brah. Yeah, it's freaking rad, brah. It's not like Adaptation where he's like, oh, let me think about my internal monologue and my thoughts, brah. I just want to see him shoot stuff, brah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude, like him being like all self-deprecating and all that, dude. I just no time. Confidence is key, brother. Yeah, confidence is key. Like jumping out of a fucking plane, like in Con Air, flying it and flowing your long walks in the wind, man. Fucking a, bro. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's actually coming soon. That'll be the next uh, series that we do, Jesus. bro films. Like, oh subscribe, and comment, and surfs up, dude. <laughs> But anyway, so back to actually talking about the movie. Spike Jones, um, I think he's he's such an interesting dude. I've always really liked his his work. Um, you know, being John Malkovich is awesome. I think I think that movie's freaking amazing. Like I just rewatched it uh, last year and forgot about like how much I just love it. The idea. I was like, forced to watch it in college for like a film class that I'd taken and I'd never heard of it. I'd seen John Malkovich, I think, only in Con Air before then. And I have such a like, deep respect for him just for letting that movie exist. I I love being John Malkovich. What a bizarre film. So I, I, I thought you were talking about Con Air, like that movie existing. And I was like, oh, because John Malkovich, no, 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 Con no. Air exists. No, I love uh, that's the guy. OK, just side note. Con Air's got the most awkward fight in that in, in any movie I've ever seen. I've seen it one time and I think I was like 12. They fight in the like, I don't know under the plane or whatever whatever that crawl space of the plane whatever you call that yeah like the cargo hold yeah or something. sure whatever but it's like <laughs> it's bro films bro yeah it is, shut up about cargo sh shut up man the only cargo i get is shorts brother <laughs> flip flop polos and cargos bro um 
And Bud Light. Oh, dude. No, no, not Give Bud me a freaking Light. Coors, no, yeah, Coors, man, bruh. Um, Someone's gonna be drinking a Coors listening to this and be like, God, are you kidding me? I'm gonna go and kill them, bruh. <laughs> bruh. I'm gonna go punch them in the face, bruh. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, no. Anyway, yeah, they're in the car. <laughs> car go old. And they're like, they have to like duck down. So they fight like hunched over. Yeah, it's really weird. You gotta look this. I gotta. Sh- oh god. Yeah, you gotta look this up after we record. Anyway, <laughs> so Spike Jones's career. Anyway, you were saying what'd you say? Oh, uh, just that I really, <laughs> I really appreciate John Malkovich for letting that movie exist. I think it's very cool. But the whole thing about adaptation is he's a- adapting this film uh, or adapting this book for a film, and the book is about this woman's journey, like with this guy who's stealing flowers. I don't understand why this film studio thought the guy who brought us being John Malkovich should make should write a film about that about this real event. I can't imagine what was going through their head and what they expected to get. I, I yeah, I can't either. Um, so like, and one of the things I was looking at in like the notes and things like the um, trivia and things about it. Apparently, like it was, it dated back to like 1994. The film rights were purchased by Fox 2000 in 1997. And then they sold them to Jonathan Demme, who directed Sons of the Lambs. Interesting. Yeah. And then... Why? That, yeah, that's also bizarre to me. He said... Well, I mean, he did... I mean, have you ever seen uh, Rachel Getting Married? Mm-mm. He directed that movie. So, I mean, Jonathan Demme's done, like, other things that aren't, like... He's not, like, everything is, like, you know, Sons of the Lambs or, like, yeah. kind of thriller-oriented. But, like... But, yeah, still, I don't know. Like, and then... Um, He set it, the project, up at Columbia Pictures, which Columbia ended up, you know, making the film. But Kaufman was hired to write the script and, like, was having, like, all this. And that's true about this, like, the whole writer's block of the adaptation of what is this story? Like, what do I do with this? Right. And I think that's so cool that the movie ends up being about him being, like, so worried about being able to make this movie happen. And that he just writes himself into it. And then the movie shows him writing himself into it. I, yeah, I can't. I mean, that's the one thing I love about this movie is that there is no other movie like this. I can't think of. I can't think of anything that's so specifically like a meta. No, except for the Matrix Resurrections. Yeah. <laughs> we don't, you, talk, we did, don't talk about it. Did you watch that? I did, man. I love the Matrix, too. I lo- especially like the first one. Like the, they, I don't know how I feel about the sequels just generally. Yeah. They're, but they're still fun and they still kind of immerse you in, in the Matrix. Yeah. But... I remember thinking for months like how excited I was to see this new movie and then I watched it and uh, I was kind of blown away by how much I didn't care for it. I okay, yeah, I was too. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like I I love the first Matrix when they did the they did an IMAX thing recently like when oh. they were right before Resurrections came out and I went and saw it in IMAX oh, and it cool. was that first movie to this day like I forgot how much I love it and watching it like that cuz like I've I've seen that. I saw that movie when I was a kid, like when it first came out and everything. And I've just, you know, it's always been part of my, my. Yeah. I remember life. super, super young and seeing my parents watching it and just seeing the scene where it's like, they're sitting in like, what it essentially looks like purgatory, just the white backgrounds. Morpheus is sitting in the, uh, the chair and it's just like, it's just burned into my mind. And I, I love the matrix. Yeah, I do too. And that is a kind of a meta movie. So, I mean, I was excited about where they were going with that one. Um, but maybe we'll, we might have to just do a whole matrix. Like maybe do one episode where we talk about all four because I kind of feel the same way. I would love to. I we'll will say like just to say one more thing about Resurrections <laughs> is that there was a scene and I had I watched the movie with subtitles on. I like watching with subtitles. It gives me I get you all are the, a subtitle person. Yeah, 
I can't watch a movie that's in English in subtitles. It drives me insane. I think, for, like, to some degree, I just don't even, it, I don't even think about it. Interesting. But it's nice because I get all of the information. I'm never having to ask, like, what did they say or anything. And so just without thinking, I watched it with subtitles. I had no problems with the experience itself, except for the fact that I didn't like the movie. I saw a video on, I think, Twitter or Facebook within like a week or so of watching it. And the video clip just says, what are they saying? And are they speaking English? And I watched the clip. I had just seen the movie. No idea what this, what the character said. Like, it absolutely just sounds like nonsense. Because I saw it with subtitles, I was fine. What part is this? I want to say it's the... I can't remember the character's names just because I really did not... Uh, I didn't absorb too much from it after after watching it, but it's the one of the new characters that are introduced. I think it's like as soon as she's talking about like the Matrix and all that stuff and just like the science behind what they're doing, whatever she's saying just does not sound like actual words. Oh my gosh. Are you talking about the Jada Pekin Smith character when they're in when I don't think so. I want to say it's earlier in the movie. I can't I wish I could remember the character's name or the the actor's name. Something else. There, I don't know. There was, they were describing something about a strawberry at one point. And I went, okay. <laughs> oh yeah, I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. And they're like, here's a there's a nano thing. The technology got it. They're just yeah. They spent okay. like 15 minutes talking about how excited they are to have strawberries. I just really wanted to see. I thought that we were gonna. Honestly, I'm disappointed. I thought we were gonna see like Neo look like Neo, but he didn't. He just looked like John Wick, and I was he like, like Keanu Reeves has for the last like eight years. You know what we have to talk about at some point. I just rewatched it. We have got to talk about Constantine. Dude, I haven't seen Constantine in so long. I liked that movie when it came out, though. That movie is it. I mean, I see it gets a lot of love now. And there's like a cult following for it. That's I love that movie. I know it's not an exact adaptation. Yeah, I wasn't aware. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, got it. Got him. Back to uh, adaptation. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's really fascinating. I think it's really like a f- like just a really interesting movie and the way that the time again like i'm obsessed with the way that time is handled in movies because it's the only medium that you could do this in. i mean obviously you can jump around in timelines in books but to actually show time happening you yeah. can only do that you can't do that in a play i mean you can sort of but i mean everybody yeah you're not gonna buy into it as much right and I, just the way that it it's present day past present past like constantly like cutting in between these two uh timelines right and then it's like you said it's like it gets hijacked by donald when it all comes yeah we finally like find ourselves with both timelines in the present and yeah and the film just changes entirely from there Mm -hmm. and i don't think it's something you realize right away that it's changed and it's it's really cool Mm -hmm. so nicholas cage's um prosthetic his like chest stomach chest situation yeah yeah it's (laughs) i just think it's so funny that you have this character that that like has this like look and you've got one character that's so like about it and then the other one it doesn't phase him at all super confident yeah well and i think charlie at some point in the movie says like oh women what like Maybe I should be confident or something, but that's what women want, right? And he's like, "But I'll, ne- oh, but I'll still be ugly." It's like, damn, dude. <laughs> he's like, I'm st- "But I'll still be ugly," but that's okay because since the beginning, he's like, "That's okay because men can be ugly." He's like, "That's not true, though." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like in his own head, going on and on about this stuff. But um, all right, let's. We'll, okay, so Spike Jones. We were talking about being John Malkovich um, earlier and his career. 
where the wild things are. Have you ever seen? Did you ever see that? Yeah, I think I saw it in theaters. I like I read the like children's book when I was a kid and I loved the art. I remember going to Barnes and Noble and seeing like all the puppets and stuff that they used to sell. It was cool. I really liked the it's kind of the style and and all that. But I did not care for that movie a whole lot. Really, I think I should watch it again. I was probably like fifteen or sixteen when it came out. Like just at that age where it was like. I'm a little too old to appreciate this from, like, as a kid, and I'm too young to appreciate it as, like, an adult. Yeah, I gotta I got get you. Yeah, I've seen it one time. Um, I would like to see it again. I mean, I do think that the the special effects were really cool, what they did, and how they, like, did the puppets and all that kind of thing. Yeah, I think when I saw it, I just couldn't appreciate that in the same way that I can now. I couldn't appreciate the production more, more than it was just a viewing experience. And have you seen her? Love her. Yeah. I her think her is so good. Her and being John Malkovich are my two favorite Spike Jones films. Yeah. yeah. I, I need to watch her again because it's I haven't seen it since 2015, 2014. That movie is really I I think the cinematography is really beautiful in that thing. And I just like I mean, I'm I'm a huge Joaquin Phoenix fan and I love everything that he does in that movie. I think I mean, I don't know. I think it's a perfect movie. I can't think of anything I would change. No, about the performances that. are so great. So much so that you and yourself kind of fall in love with this AI thing. You can you can understand fully why he's invested him like himself so much in this, mm-hmm. and then it's so heartbreaking. Oh yeah, that oh god, oh man, that's just that's the theme of Spike Jones and Charlie Kaufman. It's just heartache and breakup and just sadness. <laughs> yeah, it's this kind of like emptiness. It, it's not hopeful in any way. It's just kind of I don't even know. Yeah, I don't know how you would refer to it besides just being kind of depressing. But, like, in a very interesting way. It's, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it's like, it's that whole thing of, like, you're feeling things. It's making, helping you feel. I mean, that's the whole thing of, like, sad music sometimes. I was thinking about this recently. It's like, sad music is so great because it is so, like, obviously, well, it's like, you've got, like, it's almost like somebody with, like, I think about, like, bipolar disorder. We have these two, like, ends of each spectrum. I hope this is right what I'm saying, but (laughs) you, you, you have, like, high highs and low lows so it's like music it's like super optimistic or it's like really depressing and it's like there's just like this i don't know it's it's it is it's it's obviously like these really intense feelings that you're having and i think a lot of like actors definitely feel that way oh for sure and yeah and a lot of these movies like they mix in comedy in a way where it works where it's not it doesn't feel forced in any way it's very natural like you're feeling for these people that are living kind of sad lives sad existences and uh, I think just it's like I, I, ironic humor pretty much through and through like any any moment that makes you laugh. It's like you're kind of laughing. I don't know. Not in, not in, not in anyone's expense or at anyone's expense, but just like. I don't know. It's just so uncomfortable. All these movies being John Malkovich has so many awkward moments, especially because you're watching him live through somebody else's life through his eyes. And that's all bizarre. And you're watching this like other meta film through adaptation where Charlie Kaufman has written, written himself into the film as this character that is referring to himself as being gross and fat and a slob and all these horrible things. Mm-hmm. Yet they're still like, honestly pretty funny. Oh, I mean the movie is hilarious. Like I think, I think that like the, the, the internal monologue of Charlie Kaufman is just one of the funniest things I've ever, I just, I don't know. It makes me laugh so hard. Like I said, like I, I was getting upset with his character at one point, but like, Again, that's just that's also a testament. It's like the writing is really is is great, but it's also just a testament to how great Nicolas Cage's performance is. Yeah, 
You well, I think the reason you had that reaction is because you feel you feel him as a real person. Oh yeah, it doesn't feel like some sort of exaggerated character, which is funny because Nicolas Cage so often plays those characters. Mm-hmm. He's like absurd, loud people, and this time he's kind of this like relatively somber, soft-spoken person that it just hates themselves. I think that there's like I feel I, you can I can definitely feel like I feel like there's like a there's this in between. I feel like that. Nicholas Cage was able to like do these characters so well because he is a bit of both of them. Oh, for sure. I think I, mean, I think a lot of people probably are. Right. I know, think I, don't I think on my worst days I can see myself in Charlie, yeah. and on my best days I can definitely see myself in Donald. Like, right. I don't know that I'll ever have his confidence. Really. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> the a, Donald Cobb confidence is maybe it's just that's the it's the, having the name Donald just gives you confidence when you shouldn't have any. <laughs> I mean, I can oh, think of a fair. couple of I, other yeah. Donalds. I don't know why my brain immediately went to the duck. I'm like, he's not that confident. The baby's kind of grumpy. No, I, know, I, I don't think Donald Duck is that confident. <laughs> I don't know. He's like, he, he's got an anger issue. But I mean, maybe he is confident. But I don't, I don't know. That's funny. But there's another. Yeah. Yeah. I, get where you're coming from. I don't know why my brain is like, no, nah, dude, the duck. Wrong. <laughs> if you enjoy this podcast, you can check out Dawn in the Morning, which is also done by one of the uh, hosts of this show. It's a really great uh, comedy sketch. Uh, anyway, self-plugging. That's the sponsor this week. Dawn in the Morning. Go check it out wherever you get podcasts. That's so fucking stupid. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, But Spike Jones, the other thing that's so funny about like him, like as his career, too, is the um the jackass movies like he produces all of those and he's in them too he's a co-creator for yeah. this the series which i had no idea was a thing um i knew like he had done a few like music videos and things but i didn't know that he was so heavily involved with like the kind of the skateboarding world and then jackass oh yeah like he owns or at least like helps found like girl skateboards mm-hmm. that was wild i had no idea it was like I, I I never had a, a girl branded skateboard as a kid, but I had friends who did. Mm-hmm. And like it was always it was something I was so aware of that it was wild to realize that that's the same guy that's directed a few movies that I really love. Well, that's what I've always loved about Spike Jones is one of the things is that like I always liked him because I always liked these artsy films and things like that. But like kind of where I grew up, like skateboarding was kind of like looked down like on. Oh, for sure. I, mean, I know a lot of people do, but I mean, there's a lot of cultures that don't look down on it in a lot of like places they don't and so i thought it was really cool i always liked him because i was like yeah that's one of my many things in my personality i love skateboarding and yeah. things and so i just love that because he's just he's just i feel like he he really is just true to himself and true to who he is because you have all of these films that you don't think the guy who would produce jackass which i love jackass oh yeah super fun and entertaining but very different right and yeah i was reading the um i was reading the roger roger ebert uh, review of adaptation and he like really enjoyed the film and had a lot of respect for Spike Jones but at the top of the of the review he notes that Spike Jones who is more known for music videos and skateboarding videos has like done it again like blah blah blah, blah. and it's it was really interesting interesting because I wasn't aware of those things really I think I'd seen one music video that he directed but I thought that was like a one-off thing I think he did um some Radiohead that sounds right. I think I think he did. I, I'm I'm more familiar. I just can't think of it off the top of my head. But I've been a fan. But I did write down one of my favorites, and I I saw this years ago. Um, it's one of his shorts. I think it's like th- a little over thirty minutes, or right at thirty minutes. But uh, you can get it on YouTube, and it's called "I'm Here," hmm. directed by him, and it stars Andrew Garfield in the role but he's playing a robot so his head's always like it's just he has like a pc face so it's like 
And then he like meets a female robot. Like he's like extremely unhappy until he meets this female robot. And then drama stuff. It's it's really I'm here. beautiful and like sad and but also happy. I'm gonna have to check this out. That sounds cool. It's really good. It's really, really good. You just go on YouTube and you just put in I'm here, Spike Jones, and it should pop up. Okay. I can't think of anybody that I know that's like, oh, I've seen adaptation. I've never heard anybody talk about it. It's Mm-mm. something that I I'm not even sure how I was aware of it. I think mm. somehow, somewhere I saw a video, like a clip of it, where it just basically showed that Nicolas Cage was playing twins. And I was like, that's hilarious. Like, that's interesting. I want to see that movie. I haven't seen him do that. Mm. And that's, I think, why it was always kind of in the back of my mind as something I wanted to watch because I thought it was just bizarre. Well, I was thinking about, like, with, with adaptation, one of the cool things when we were talking about, like, the meta stuff, I think what's really great is now in his, yeah, in his um, filmography, this is the movie that he did immediately after being John Malkovich. Right. That's why I said I was, like, so surprised that anyone would get him to be the person who would write this? Are you talking about Spike Jones or Charlie Kaufman? Spike Jones directed. Oh. This was the movie he... I'm, I'm pretty sure. Hold I, on. I think you're right, because I don't think he had directed too many films. No. Like, I th- well, Being John Malkovich was his first movie. And... Yeah, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. When did that come out? That would be, I think, 2002. 2002? Was that... Now I'm just, like, getting myself mixed up between Charlie Kaufman and Spike Jones. Was that... Directed by Spike Jones or no, just written by Charlie Kaufman? directed by a French director. Okay. Yeah, that sounds right. Because I want to say that Spike Jones has a pretty big gap in his filmography between films at some point. Like, maybe it's right after uh, Adaptation. There might be like maybe five to nine years. I'm trying to remember. Maybe Or maybe it was seven. There seems to be a pretty large gap. Like, he wasn't directing too many films. Despite the fact that the ones he has directed have been pretty big. Spike Jones? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, um... Yeah, John Malkovich was, and then he did like a short, but like it was John Malkovich, and then the next thing he did was adaptation. Damn. So that's what's like cool is like so how meta, how they bring in like how he's on the set of being John Malkovich. And it's like, I mean, that's only a couple years though. I mean, because John Malkovich came out in 1999 and adaptation came out in 2002, which this movie's 20 years old now. Oh, don't say that. I didn't even think about the fact that 2002. I couldn't believe what I was like last night when I like popped off the screen and it it went back to like the little HBO Max thing. It was like 2002. And I went, this movie is 20 years old. When I was a child, Star Wars was 20 years old. And I was super, I was like, oh my God, this is insane. Like how, how was Star Wars 20 years old when I'm little and now this is 20 years old. And I'm like, what in the hell? Like, see again, the whole time obsession thing with film and stories and time it's just yeah yeah time is the thing that freaks me out the most time is the ultimate villain (laughs) it's the bane of my existence no um do you remember the weapon of choice uh fat boy slim music oh yeah absolutely yeah spike jones directed that that makes sense okay yeah it's a cool cool music video yeah directing wise his films yeah it's just where the wild things are and then maybe that's what it was i think between its adaptation and then where the wild things are right yeah yeah and then i mean that's that's wild because he's such a fantastic filmmaker but i mean like you know i mean kubrick was the same what kubrick didn't direct stanley kubrick didn't direct a bunch of films like he would take long gaps yeah in between things but he always is working he's always making music videos and doing things like that but i mean the last movie he did was her yeah but has it been like eight years now that was 2013 2013 so nine so, yeah nine years ago man 
her is nine years old. That's crazy too. Um, I would love to see, I hope Spike Jones does something again, but I mean, he's been like doing these, like he did Aziz Ansari, like his, uh, comedy special. And then the, this beastie boy story, uh, it was a two hour Apple plus, uh, Apple, Apple TV plus, uh, uh, thing. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I hope he'll, I hope he'll do another narrative soon. I'd love to see that. Yeah. I feel like he's definitely due for one. Um, I know he's like obviously still on uh, attached to like the jackass properties and stuff, but that I can't imagine like he's doing too much on that besides producing. Well, the funny thing was I think he did because I I went and saw Forever. Did you? No, I wanted to. I don't even think it's in theaters anymore, but no. it's also not streaming on anything yet. That's that's the worst thing about like the time we're in now. The limbo. This, there is this weird limbo period where it's like, I need... I but that's need to, the way it all... What do you mean now? Like, that's no, the way it always no, it's was. It's more though. that things are so readily accessible now that it's that limbo worse. period is worse. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it should exist anymore. <laughs> that, I mean, yeah, I get you. That's the weirdest thing. I, I was like... I was, I went online and I was looking because I was like, okay, what special edition am I, am I going to order of the Batman? What steel book am I going to get for this? And I'm looking online and I'm like, when does this come out? You're like, this has been in theaters for four days. Yeah. And so they're like coming to HBO Max streaming in April. And I'm like, well, that's stupid. Why would they bring it that soon? Like 45 days is all they're going to give it in the theater. I'm like, well, that's they're missing out. So I'm like, well, maybe the Blu-ray will be right. They're like, no, it's July, maybe. And I'm Damn. like, that's not even that long. Back in the day, it was like, you have to wait like a year for a movie to come out. But like, I'm still thinking if you're going to make it available on streaming, why are you waiting until June or July? It but, might be like special features amongst other things. Maybe. But also, I th- I do think that, I do think back in the day it was give it this long window in a the theater, which I did like because like the yeah. theater experience is the best experience. And especially for, you know, a movie like that, like. Right. And I think the theater was like the most accessible way for anyone to see a movie back, like at cer- certain points in time for sure. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's bizarre to me, like. There, for the most part, it feels like there's such a short window of time for movies to go from theater to streaming services. Mm-hmm. So anytime there's a wait, it's like, damn, like it does feel like much longer than it used to. And that's the crazy thing. It's just there's so much things that just like get caught up in that. And like, I mean, and another thing is like physical media is just like going away, which is fine. I don't even I mean, I used to collect movies a lot. And now that it's just kind of gone away, it doesn't bother me so much. But it's kind of one of those things where it's like. Just if you make it available to people in some form or fashion so that they can, like, watch these movies in another date, like, if they love it. Yeah. And if they, you know, like, just, you don't have to, because the the average Joe are the, and is not going out and buying all the movies that are coming out. They're not buying movies like last year's The Father of Anthony Hopkins, which I would love to have, like, a Blu-ray of, which I think you can get, like, that stuff on Amazon, but, like... If you're going to make these things, I just want, it's kind of like vinyl, like what the Criterion does, just make these things feel more. Right. And I think, you know, the reality is, is that DVDs are kind of becoming just very similar to vinyl in that aspect where it's this kind of niche thing. Mm -hmm. It's for enthusiasts, really. Like, but I don't think most people are buying DVDs at all. I couldn't tell you the last time I bought one. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I bought one in the last eight years. Oh, really? Like, I, I really don't know the last movie that I would have purchased physically hmm like it was probably like a five dollar like movie bin thing from like walmart or something and i haven't done that in a long time wow i i do remember in the early days when that started the five dollar bin to dig through that was a lot of fun yeah i um i don't for me more it's like about preservation and like finding the best version because like even though streaming can look really good 
there it can't compare like if i look at like a 4k blu-ray no and that's so true i think dvd like the standard like um like non-hd formatting is just a thing of the past for sure obviously the quality isn't there dvds look like they look so bad on a 4k tv i mean it's just i don't have many i have like i i got rid of i took them to goodwill actually i just took a bunch of dvds and just dropped them off at goodwill but like um even blu-ray is starting to like it looks fine but like if i watch it on my 4k tv i'm like ooh, that that looks that Right. blurry and but then i put a 4k in and i'm like oh my god yeah i think that's the that's the issue is that technology is it has advanced so much in the last like 30 years that we've gone from vhs to dvd to hd dvd to blu-ray to 4k blu-ray and it's just i don't think people are as interested in trying to keep up i mean my mom had a like a vhs collection that was like hundreds of movies mm-hmm. and then that kind of transitioned into a couple shelves on the same bookcase for dvds and then I think eventually, like, she just got fed up with owning DVDs kind of generally. And then I ended up with a bunch of them. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think she gets the, a few of them from time to time. But it's definitely not what it was. Oh, my God. My dad used to collect VHS tapes when I was a kid. And it was he had so many. And he would order them. He was, like, friends with people at the video store. And he would, like, order, That's like, cool. really, like, special Universal Monster movies and things like that. Because they yeah. did those. So we would watch those. But, like, yeah, I was always shown, like you know, Monty Python and the Holy Grail when I was a kid and things like that on video. Yeah, that's so, fun. Yeah, I mean, we always, like, he was just a super big film nut. So, like, and then he got into DVDs. And I and I, just, I do still have a bunch of his old, like, DVDs and things like that that I kept because he's, you know, he passed away, so I wanted to keep his some of his things. But not all of them. Yeah, I mean, he just, he just loved movies. But, like, I just, I've gotten to the point, and I think it was because of, like, moving around so much and everything that, like, it really started to just get exhausting having to carry stuff. And so I have it now to where it's just, like, directors, Criterion, and, like, maybe a few, like, random. Yeah, just stuff that's, like, yeah, stuff that you really want or things that are interesting enough to have. And you've also got a few that are, like, I think, like, the Dark Knight trilogy that are, like, almost like art pieces. They're, like, these display pieces. I mean, we're not done with it. I mean, I guess we're done with this episode. I mean, like, I've kind of said all that I need to say on adaptation. Do you have anything else you want to say? Um, No, I think it's a really interesting film. I think if you watch it, give it a day and, I don't know, kind of process it. It was not something that I immediately loved. I didn't dislike it. Um, It just, I think the more I kind of sat and thought about it, the more I was able to appreciate it. Mm. Very interesting movie. I've never seen something that was such a meta, like, self-aware film. Except for the Matrix Resurrections. <laughs> Except for that. We don't talk about that. Um, but I think it's a very <sighs> interesting watch. If you want to watch Nicolas Cage play a character unlike anything I've seen him play, you should check it out. Yeah, agreed. Um, how, w- w- how would you rate the film? I'd give it a 7. 7 out of 10. 7 out of 10. I think it's really, I think it's incredibly well written, very well edited. It's just, it's not a spectacle. Yeah, I mean, I do agree. It's not a spectacle, but... I mean, I, I would I would give it a seven, maybe a seven point five. Yeah, and I think I, yeah. I think maybe a seven point five. I might even push it to an eight. Like I said, I think after spending some time, that seven was something that like I set concrete once I'd watched the film. Yeah, and like I said, it's changed. It's uh, I, I've adapted since then. Oh, I you see like what that? you did. Yeah, yeah, you like that's that? very clever. Um, I was gonna um, say but I no, I think <laughs> I think a seven out of ten. I mean, I mean, that's still like it's not like giving it a four. I mean. I think I mean I do think a seven is like a good rating for a movie. I, most movies I would rate it a seven. 
Yeah, I think I think like even like a like a five out of ten, like that sounds like a failing grade. I feel like a five is like the most standard movie. Like it's either something that you might watch again, or might not ever, but it's not something that's like that's hurt you in any way. Five like, to me is like a romantic comedy. Yeah, exactly. It's just kind of like. You know, you watch it and it might have been entertaining, but it's not something you walk away thinking about maybe ever again. Five is like, I think, the standard run of the mill film. What's your favorite five romantic comedy? 13 going on 30. I don't oh, know. Wow, okay. I would love that movie, though. No, I, might I, give, yeah. I would give that like a like an eight. Not really. I can't even give it an eight. I'd oh. give it a I'd give it a six now, realistically. But <laughs> 13 going on 30 is what caused you to want to be an actor. Oh, yeah, dude. I, you know, I was like, Mark Ruffalo, that's a, that's hey, the best I'm ever going to hey, be. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I um, I do like that movie actually a lot. <laughs> I do, I do. I, I well, t- I had a huge crush on Jennifer Garner. Yeah, that's it's probably why I watched it so much. But um, no, I do <laughs> like that movie a lot. And um, but I'm trying to think like rom com. Now I'm gonna like go. What's my favorite? You were so fast with that that I don't think that I can meet that. No, that's fair. But I was. How was that so fast? Because I know that I love that movie. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not fucking around with that. I can't <laughs> think of a, ro- a romantic comedy. I can't. Th- Maybe that's the problem. I don't know. I you need to watch like How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days or something. I man. know. I liked Hitch back in the day. I haven't seen Hitch since it came out. I haven't either. But I I remember liking it. Oh no, I don't. I don't. I think I hate romantic comedies. <laughs> the uh, romantic comedies are like a genre that. I th- they're just an easy they're watch. Rom-com. It's a shame. I can't. <laughs> there was Marry Me that just came out with oh. Jennifer Lopez and wow. 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 <laughs> I, w- I would like to see that not because I'm like. Yeah, of course you would. Yeah, yeah I know. Right. I'm like setting myself up as being like the rom-com like guy. rom-coms. No, rom-coms are nice. They, they make me feel better. <laughs> no, they, there's a hopefulness to them, I think. Love Actually. Okay. That's, I forget. That's a rom-com. Yeah. But it's like a depressing British rom-com. That's a bit different, but I like it. That's a, I, I do think Love Actually is a good movie. What movie are you feeling? So you're gonna pick. So have you have you thought about what you're gonna pick? Wait, I'm gonna pick for yeah, the. You have to pick next week. I pick. Wait, oh shit, no, yeah, you're right. you picked. Yeah, I thought we settled on. No, uh, I no, I'm not picking every time. I picked adaptation. What do we choose? Oh, Under the Silver Lake. Yeah, son of a bitch. I was so like you're supposed to pick the movie. Well, if we naturally come to one, I think that works. Okay, well that's fine. All right, yeah, Under the Silver Lake. I just I just watched it not too long ago, so you're gonna have to track it down. I'll figure it out. Okay. <laughs> I got Amazon Prime. I can rent it for $4.99 or something. It's going to end up being like 30 bucks. I'm like, damn it. 30 bucks to rent a movie on Amazon Prime. It's inflation, man. There was, I mean, $30 is clearly an exaggeration, but there's, um, what is that movie called? It's, uh, I think, Stay Alive. Is that what it is? What? It's like a 2003, 2004 movie about a video game. Horror and, movie. Yes. I see. I can see the cover. Yeah. Somebody's hands holding like a bloody PlayStation controller. Yep. And it's like if they die in the game, they die in real life. And you I think. Watch the movie. You want to kill yourself. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> but I went, I went to look that movie up recently because I, ha- I never saw it. I was too young at the time. And uh, now I'm like, I, I can just watch whatever. It was like $12, $13 to rent on Amazon, and I was like, there's not a chance. $12 or $13 to rent on Amazon? Yeah. I think I remember that movie coming out in the theater for like a weekend. Yeah, I think it's like Frankie Muniz and some other people. I don't know. We uh, will talk a little bit more about weird times in film history uh, on next 
time. I'm going to say next times because that sounds good. Next times episode. <laughs> There's no weeks. No, I don't know. I, when this, I don't know what the schedule is. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I, don't, I just I don't know what this is. It's just we're figuring it out. So um, I we hope you enjoy. We want to thank you for listening. And uh, yeah, we're going to be doing some fun stuff with the show continuing. But thanks for sticking with us if you have, because we're still trying to figure out everything. Yeah, catch me get uh, catch me getting bullied catch, about. Catch, catch God, okay, <laughs> yeah, you see that you're making. You're, I am. This is my point is being made. Catch me get bullied next time. See you later. <laughs> 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 <laughs>